Colossians 1, 9 to 14, where we have been in the last couple of weeks. We'll be finishing up on that text today. Starting in the ninth verse, if I get there. Something's happening. Technology is failing me. Okay, there we go. We pray to God. Verse 9, Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we are not in the land of darkness anymore. We thank you that you have taken us out of the power grip of Satan. We thank you that you have qualified us for an eternal inheritance that rightly does not belong to us. We are disqualified. Our thinking, our actions, our words, our attitudes, our motives, our agendas constantly disqualify us, Father God, from any kind of blessing and eternal life, Father God. But through Christ's blood, you have qualified us, Father God. You have taken spoiled milk, and you have made us usable again. God, I just pray you breathe upon this text to realize, and for many of us to remember what you rescued us from, and what you've called us for, Father God. Let us not miss the great truths that Paul is talking about, that he's praying that this church 2,000 years ago would grasp the magnitude of who Christ is and what Christ has done on their behalf, Father God. That's my prayer, Tay, as a pastor, Father God, that we at Sonship would grasp the magnitude of our qualification of being rescued and being transferred into the kingdom of light, Father God. We are now sons and daughters of God. We thank you, O God, in Christ's name. Amen. As we've been going through this text for the last three weeks, these, these six verses of Scripture, uh, we started first to, to speak about the knowledge of His will. And we did that a couple of weeks ago, and the knowledge of His will is not some kind of great mystery where we can't figure it out, or it means something for you, but it doesn't mean the same thing for you. The knowledge of God's will is the same thing for who? For everybody. Same thing for everybody. There's two aspects of the knowledge of God's will. It is Doctrinal, that means who Christ is, what Christ has done, uh, the perfect plan of salvation that makes us complete, that we're saved full and free by grace alone, through Christ alone, by faith alone. That's doctrinal, and there's a lot of other stuff, of course. But then there's the uh, ethical implications that follow with this great understanding of who Christ is and what Christ has done. And now, what do I do? I'm a Christian. I, I thank you, God. My sins are forgiven, but how do I live now? And that is the ethical 
implications or aspects of the will of God. And I want you to know that this, these four chapters will give us a greater insight into the doctrinal aspect and the ethical aspect. So by the time we get to the third and fourth chapters, we will be speaking directly to our heart. It will be applied. This is what we call applied theology. It's not just knowing for knowing's sake, it's knowing for living's sake. How to leave, live a life pleasing to the Lord. We realized a couple, last week that knowledge leads to living, and not just living, but bearing a certain type of fruit in every good work. And, and what that means to bear a fruit in every good work is, is it's, it's redemptive fruit. It means that Christ was here. If someone was around us long enough, they should realize that the people we are, the character we exemplify, is not our own doing. We didn't get that from mom and dad. We got that from the Savior. The love and the compassion, the concern, the the civility, the kindness and the gentleness and the patience that we exemplify is not of this world. It's been given to us by the virtues of Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just a bearing fruit. It's not just being nice. It's beyond nice. It's being nice to even enemies. As we saw Jesus teaching that last week. We also spoke about prayerfully being empowered by God. That we're not living in some kind of uh, high theoretical concept. Uh, We have the power of the Holy Spirit to live this out. To generally love our enemies in a way that not not an emotional love, but a love that is generally uh, concerned for the welfare of even people that don't like us. The standard and the quality of Christian good works and Christian love is far above what the world offers. And we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and then not just do that, but with impatience and endurance, a joyful patience and a joyful endurance. And we spoke about those two Greek words last week. And it's about tough people and tough circumstances. Because tough circumstances over a prolonged period of time can steal our thanksgiving. It can steal our spiritual joy. It can steal our our perseverance and our love for Christ. Irritable people over a long period of time that test our patience can steal our joy. Personally, as a Christian, I don't want to die as a miserable old man. I don't want to start off right being filled with God and knowing God and enjoying God to turn into some bitter, honorary old man that you don't even know as a Christian. I want to finish the way we... I want to run the race the way he wants us to run the race. And to do that, we need to have endurance. and We need to have patience with joy. And that comes from the Holy Spirit. That comes from a knowledge of his will. Praying that God would fill us with the knowledge of His will and the power to do it. It's, it's one thing to have the knowing, it's something else to have the doing. The world has a lot of knowing, but what does it lack? It lacks the doing. But that X factor is given to us by the Holy Spirit. We can live the life that God calls us to live. For an unbeliever to hear the moral exhortations of Scripture would sound like the law of Moses. It would be, sound like you, you, you strangle me. I could never live under those commandments. But to the believer, it's something that says this is how you please the Lord. Pleasing the Lord to the believer, when we hear that, our ears perk up. My heart is filled. Because 
Deep down inside every true born again believer, every true Christian, there is a desire to do what? Please God. So when we preach and we teach and we sing, what we're doing, we're tapping into that area of our life that wants to please God. Again, we want to end right, not just start right. Tonight we're going to finish the text by starting with giving thanks to God. Some uh, commentators will say joyfully giving thanks to God. Neither way, it's thanksgiving to God in the New Testament and Scripture is a, always a joyful thing. So you can't be miserable and give thanks to God. That disqualifies it from being what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, to be generally thanksgiving, is a sense of joy and gratitude that go with that. And, and I want to speak about that tonight in association with these other three aspects of what Christ has done for us. means qualified, he has rescued, and he has transferred us. The last two verses bring Paul's prayer all together. Everything spoken up to this point about growing in the knowledge of his will and bearing fruit and enduring tough circumstances and enduring tough people are all found on these last two verses of scripture. These two verses are the foundation that the prayer was built on. Namely this. Christ has qualified us. Christ has rescued us. And Christ has transferred us. And we're going to speak about that tonight. This is not an empty thanksgiving. I'm not thanking God for just the food on my plate. That's a short shelf life. You can thank God for the food on your plate. And you can thank God for the roof on your head. And you can thank God for the clothes on you. But when you meet tough people. And you meet tough circumstances. You're not going to be able to endure it with joy. But when we realize what Christ has done, he has qualified us and rescued us from our sins and from Satan and transferred us into the kingdom of the good shepherd. Understand something. What happens then is our hearts are overwhelmed with a thanksgiving to God that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So these last two verses we're going to be speaking about tonight, namely, is the finished work of Christ, which he, has, which he sums up in these words. Qualified? Delivered, transferred, redemption, and the forgiveness of our sins. These all speak of the finished work of Christ on the sin's behalf. And this is what overwhelms our heart. This is what fills our mind. This is salvation full and free as we trust in Christ. And we're to do this with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for these benefits is the hallmark of Christian character. Thanksgiving. It should be a a, a characteristic of Christianity. It's a hallmark characteristic. Without a genuine, full heart of gratitude for the Lord, for what he has done for it, uh, we'd have no moral power. We'd have no joy. We'd have no praise. Why, Why would I sing to God? If my heart wasn't filled with thanksgiving, why would I patiently suffer and endure hard trials as a Christian or even harder people as a Christian if I didn't have thanksgiving in my heart? How can we possibly do it? How can I possibly keep on witnessing to people about Christ and having sweet fellowship with other believers and having a quality time if I don't, if I lose that thanksgiving to God? 
How can I lift up my hands week in and week out and generally thank God and, and to generally praise Him if my heart loses the element of what? Thanksgiving. It's our power source. If we lose thanksgiving to God, I want you to know something right now. You're going to be struggling in your Christian life. You'll be irritable. You'll be miserable. You'll lose patience with people like that. You'll struggle with anger, slander, malice, unforgiveness. Because that all comes from being thankful for God. Because we don't have that kind of fortitude in our hearts. We don't have that spiritual love in our hearts. God gives us that. These are thanksgiving for these benefits of being qualified and rescued. These are undeserved benefits. We don't deserve them. The reason we do anything for God is because he first did something for us. Amen? That's why. That's Christianity. Christianity isn't if you do A, B, C, and D then God will give you eternal life. That is not Christianity. That's every false religion in the world. Every false religion in the world tells you, if you do this, God will give you that. That's not the way it works. It's not a Coca-Cola machine. You don't put $2 worth of good works in and get a can of eternal life. It doesn't work that way. Christ did it for us. We received the whole package. Eternal life, eternal forgiveness, forgiveness of sins past, present, and future. And that starts to change our lives and our whole perspective for living. Thanksgiving underlies everything we do for God. And it testifies to ourselves and to others that we grasp. Thanksgiving, a thankful, grateful heart, tells ourselves and the world around us that we grasp who Christ is. That it's not just a story. It is a testimony and a conviction in our heart that Christ did that for me. That we grasp these great truths of what Christ has done for us. Let me give you an example. There's been several times in my Christian life over the last 25 years where, to be honest with you, things dried up. My heart dried up. And I don't think this is unique to Brian Martin. I think this is characteristic of all Christians. We can dry up. We can get irritable. We can get miserable. We can go through Christianity's mechanical. When you go to church for 20 years every Sunday, if you start drifting away from God, guess what you're going to do? You're still going to go to church. It becomes mechanical. You're showing up. We call it going through the... Am I alone with that? It's part of human nature. And it, this has happened to me at seven, several key times in my Christian life, even as a pastor. And I had to take the time out to do some deep soul searching. You know something? The answer was always the same. I lost my focus on these truths that God qualified me when I should not be qualified. That God rescued me even when I wasn't asking to be rescued. And he transferred me when I didn't even want to be relocated. He saved me when I was still loving my sin. When I lose focus on those three truths, then understand something. Your Christian walk would become mechanical, 
irritable, miserable. You'll have no patience with tough people. And every tough circumstance that comes into life, you'll hate it. There'll be no joy. And I say that, you know why? Because that is a genuine, real thing that happens to many, many Christians. And you might be here today. You might be saying, you know something? I feel more miserable and irritable and further away from God. And the truth of the matter is, I don't really have a genuine thanksgiving. And that's what this sermon's about. It's about to refocus and recalibrate what the priorities of the Christian life is. Because this is where our strength is. Listen to what Paul says in the third chapter of this book in chapter 316. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And listen to this. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Thankfulness is not something we should do. Thankfulness is something we should, we should be. We should be. We should be thankful. So much so that we're singing it in our hearts. There's this constant, under the tongue, silent movement of the lips throughout the day, thanking God for everything in our life. Amen? That is not a far reach. That is true Christianity. We can have that. That is what God has for us. And I want to speak on the three things that Paul gives us being qualified or delivered or rescued. I'll speak about that and being transferred. Qualified, I'm going to teach on. Uh, delivered and, and, uh, and transferred, I'm going to preach on a little bit because it's important for us to know when it comes to being qualified, this is something has a specific historical event to it. We qualify today, but we're far removed from this understanding. But let me explain something. When Paul wrote this, this Gentile church, these Gentile converts, they understood what Paul was saying when he said, you have been qualified. They understood that. Because prior to Jesus Christ coming into the world, the only one who qualified for eternal life was who? Was the Jew. The only way a man can enter into the kingdom of heaven was to be born within the Hebrew nation. And then even then, after circumcision, even then they had to be faithful to the covenant and live under that covenant with the right heart and they would have that that inheritance. Understand something. The Gentile world was very familiar with the teachings in all the synagogues of the Jews concerning one God one inheritance, and one way to get there. And guess what? The Jew was very protective of this internal inheritance. They did not want to share it with people who didn't look like them, sound like them, worship like them, live like them, have the same morality as them. They coveted that. They didn't want to share that. And now all of a sudden this man, Apostle Paul, is going around the whole Gentile world telling them that you don't need Moses, you don't need circumcision, you don't need the covenants. All you need is faith in Christ and everything that was promised to the Jew in the Old Testament is now yours. 
You never called on the name of Jehovah. You lived in immorality. You lived in fornication. You lived in drunkenness. You lived in orgies. That wasn't the characteristics of a Jew. That was a pagan world. And here Paul's come and saying it. You can qualify now because of what Christ has done for you. To them, that blew their mind. They understood that. But the stiff-necked, unconverted Jew hated that. And we're going to find out when we get into the end of this chapter, Paul was in prison for five years as he wrote this letter because of that message. The Romans didn't imprison him. The Jews did it. Because they did not like that he was going around telling the pagan world that you too qualify in the blessings of Abraham and you're not even his descendant. They understood. You're telling me now I qualify? You're telling me I'm part of this? I've never been circumcised? I've never lived right? And now you're telling me God has given me all this and calling me a saint just because of faith in Christ? Guess what the answer is? But there was a lot of people that followed Paul around. We'll get into this in the second chapter. That would sneak into churches and say, no, do you know what Paul told you? That's wrong. You're not qualified. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow dietary laws. You need to become more Jewish in order to be a Christian. That's what they said. So for me and you today, we'll read a text like that and say, oh, qualified, yeah, I'm going to heaven. No, no, no. It meant more than that. And it means more to us today. Because the truth of the matter is a lot of Christians probably never grasped being qualified. We're working out our salvation in fear and trembling. We make it from Sunday to Sunday. But I ask you this. How many people take the time out during the week to realize that I am qualified in the eyes of God? No matter how bad a week I had, God sees me as nothing less than fully qualified to go to heaven. How important this was. And he says that he didn't just qualify you, but that he delivered us. Well, rescued us, some versions say. I like the word rescue. And not just that, but he rescued us from the dominion of darkness. It's a a graphic depiction of our life before Christ comes into it. And it has two aspects to it. Paul reminds his readers and us today what they were in practice before Christ came as slaves to what? Slaves to sin. We didn't just sin. We're slaves to sin. And that Satan had more control over their lives than they knew it. Ignorance of God is Satan's greatest ally. Listen to what 1 John 5.19 says. We know we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The Colossians, like, the, like me and you today and the rest of humanity before we came to Christ, were in the power grip of Satan. Our friends and our family and everybody out there, they don't think they're in the power grip of Satan. 
They think they're all, they're doing well. But the Bible reveals to us that Satan has deceived their minds. Thinking they're good enough to please God. That they're good enough to go to heaven. Or maybe God don't even exist. Or maybe Satan doesn't exist. Or if God does exist, he's not counting our sins against us. That we can sin selfishly engaged in self-gratification with impunity. At the end, we're all going where? We're all going to go to heaven. It's just a big party. The world doesn't realize that they're in the power of the evil one. The whole world. The whole religious world. The whole evil world. is all lies in the power of the evil one. This world without Christ is only darkness. That's all. And all humans are bound by ignorance. And, and they don't even know it. The Colossians didn't know it. I didn't know it. When I came to Jesus 25 years ago, I just, I just knew I was forgiven. I didn't realize, like Lazarus, I had to have the grave clothes taken off me. I didn't realize that. It was like the Egyptians. It was like the Hebrews, when the Israelites, when they were rescued out of Egypt. They were free. But what did God have to do to them? He had to remove the Egypt out of their Physically. They weren't in Egypt. You and I spiritually are fully saved. Just like Christ. But God has to remove the world out of what? He's still got to do a work in our lives. The Colossians were bound by sin and Satan. And they didn't even know it. Understand that this culture 2,000 years ago. They weren't an irreligious culture. They had more religions, more temples, more gods, more figurines, more prayers than you could ever imagine. They just didn't have truth. They didn't have God. They were deceived and they didn't even know it. They had many gods and many religions, but they had no truth. They they had no freedom. They had no moral freedom to live for God. They weren't free not to sin. They had religion and they had God, but they were bound by Satan to continue to sin. And then all the fears that go with religion. All the superstitious fears. Do you know the Bible talks about three great slaveries? The New Testament specifically, that God has freed us from. First one's found in John 8.34. He who has sinned is a slave to sin. But the son sets free is. The second great freedom is what we read in John 5.19. The whole world lies in the power of the. Except who? We don't anymore. Satan has no rule over our life Period. And the last one is found in Hebrews chapter 2. It's called the fear of death. As Christians, we have resurrection life in our hearts. And no matter how bad and challenging life gets, no matter how old and decrepit our bodies break down and everything just falls apart and the world is just trying with, with nervous laughter not to think about the inevitable The Christian with praise in his heart can say, thanks be to God. The grave has no power over our life. What the doctor says has no power over our life. It could hurt. 
And it can bring the tears, but not to hopelessness. Religion can't do that. Only Christ, the liberator, can do that. They serve the idols year in and year out, but their lives were still exemplifying evil behavior. Listen to what Paul's going to teach us only a couple of verses from now. We'll get to this in a couple of weeks. Verse 21. He says this. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's what characterizes anyone before they come to Christ. They were on a vicious merry-go-round of darkness and didn't even know it. I didn't know when I got saved. I didn't know just how unpleasing my life was to God. I had no idea he had jurisdiction over my mind. You don't know what, you don't want to know what goes on in here. It's horrible. And God has jurisdiction over the mind, over the intention, over the attitude, over the agenda. He has jurisdiction over these things. We just think it's the action God's concerned about. Oh, my friend, learn it now. God's more concerned with what takes place in the heart. He says it so clearly. I say unto you, if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, you have committed murder. If you lust for a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. Do I need to say any more of what we were before Christ came to us? Darkness in scripture represents many things. And Romans 13 uh, gives us a, a great metaphor of darkness. And this is just one example. This is one vice list of many, many. Actually, Paul has 13 of them. And here's just one of them. Listen to this. The night is far gone, Paul says. The day is at hand. That's the day of Christ. He's coming. It's at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling or being jealous, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It's this type of darkness that the light of the world came into. And he came into it on a mission of mercy to to rescue people, to deliver people, even of their self-inflicted wounds, people that weren't asking for help. He didn't wait for the world that was enslaved to sin to cry out. The world never cried out, save us, Jehovah. The world never cried out, we need you, God. God sent forth his Son, that whoever would believe in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. Nobody was asking for the Son. God sent the Son to rescue us, to deliver us. And He did this at the cross by first redeeming us. Do you know what John twelve thirty seven says? Before you can steal the strong man's goods... You have to bind up the... Does nobody know that text? You have to bind up the strong man. Before Satan, before Christ can come and redeem us, he has to bind up the strong man. Because guess what? Before Christ came into our life, we were the strong man's goods. And he stole us by binding Satan up at the cross. 
And it's at the cross he set us free. Do you know under Jesus' ministry, very few people got saved? Did you know that? Not many. He preached to thousands and upon thousands. Then he gave one message and only 12 people left. Not many people got saved under Christ's ministry. But guess what? On the cross, after he bound up the strong man, and he was crucified, and he died, and he was buried, and he was raised, he sent apostles. And he sent apostles to tell the good news of a liberator. He sent apostles. How will they know if they do not hear, Paul says. But understand something, that's just a general meaning for all humanity. For God so loved the world that what? We know that. But let's get more specific now. Let's get a personal application. Do you know that God specifically sends someone into our life to speak about the Lord Think about where you were when you got saved. Think about those tender months or that tender year before you gave your life to Christ. Think about what you were caught up in. Think about the evil deeds. Think about the actions. Think about the sin. Think about what we were caught up in right before someone told us about salvation. I know where I was. I wouldn't want to repeat the things that I did. I don't want to repeat the things I thought of. I don't want to have to go through the shame. I don't want to have to think about the guilt. You and I know personally what Christ rescued us from when we heard the good news. So when Paul is saying being thankful to God who's qualified us and rescued us, what he's saying, he's saying don't forget about in the nick of time what he saved you from. We were hostile in mind. We had evil thoughts. What was the personal darkness in your life and my life? Think. I know exactly what was going on in my life 25 years ago. Do you remember? I hope you don't forget. He who forgets is doomed to repeat. So if we're thinking, how do I maintain an attitude of thanksgiving? Don't ever forget what he rescued you from. Don't ever forget. But it's better than that. He wasn't waiting for you to come to church. He got you to church. He wasn't waiting for you for to have an epiphany. He sent someone into your life. Who was it? That spoke to you about Christ for the first time. Who were those two or three people that God used. Probably nowhere near a church. That started talking to you about the Lord. And he started working on your heart. And he started drawing you. And rescuing you when you didn't even know it. In the midst of your sin and rebellion and evil thoughts. He was not holding it against us. Because his loving kindness and long suffering does what? It leads us. To repentance. He wasn't threatening us. He wasn't demanding us. 
friends and family were talking to us about Jesus and, and our hearts started to warm up. And we started considering things that were being told. He was moving silently in our hearts and warming our spiritual life. He was redirecting our thoughts to himself. Tell me, before you got saved, how much were you thinking about God? How much were you thinking about righteousness? How much were you thinking about morality? How much were you really considering the evil ways in our life? For some reason, we walk around thinking, oh yeah, I'm just ready to get saved at any moment. And I came to church and said, God, here I am. Here I am, God. I've had enough. I don't love sin anymore. I'm ready to give give up the sex and the drunkenness and the lying and the gossip and the slander and the malice. You know, I want to get right. No, that's not the way it works. God stepped into our life and he confronted us in a loving, patient, long-suffering manner to rescue us. Then he gave us eyes to see. He gave us faith to repent. You know, it could take many years for a believer to recognize that they were spiritual POWs. Bound to certain sins and to Satan. How many people here in a spiritual way could look at yourself as maybe in a concentration camp as Auschwitz. We, 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 we can never see ourselves spiritually like that. We, we really didn't think we were that bad, did we? We were powerless to escape and doomed to a certain slow death under the power of sin and Satan. Powerless to escape. We were in the world, Paul says, without God and without any hope whatsoever we were rotting and we didn't even know it you know how he rescued us he stoops down personally into our life he steps right into the crack den he steps right into the adulterous affair he steps right into the addiction he steps right into the self-righteous attitude He steps right into the unbelief. He steps right into the atheism. He steps right into the Muslim's home. He steps right into the Catholic's home. He steps right into the Mormon's home. He steps right into the bar. He steps right into your life, and that's where he rescues you. He doesn't yell outside and say, come to me. He comes to us. That's how he rescues us. That's how he sets us free. And he just doesn't open up the door to our freedom. He relocates us. He relocates us into a kingdom of light. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of the son of his love. From following and being a child of Satan, we are now sheep of the good shepherd. We are now listening to another voice who leads us by green pastures and still waters. Who cares for us who loves us, and he nurtures us. 
where the joy of salvation floods our heart. Regret is gone. Shame is gone. Guilt is gone. Where peace and contentment are starting to grow in our heart. That's the kingdom of his beloved son. Not running around with jealousy, gossip, and suspicion about everybody about us. No, we're in a kingdom with self-control and moral power and a sound mind. He's putting us back together again. A kingdom that cannot be shaken where honesty, humility, and compassion, truth and righteousness and unity are the common expressions around us. A kingdom that's absent of competitive attitudes one towards another. A kingdom where you can just be yourself. A kingdom where it's not about the black or the white or the Jew or the poor or the Gentile. No, it makes no difference. It's not about the circumcised or the uncircumcised. But we're all one in Christ. We're in a kingdom with one boss. His name is Jesus. And one God. His name is the Father. And the rest of us are just humble servants. Brothers and sisters. This is the kingdom of light. This is the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of the redeemed. And to think that this kingdom was always around us. God has always had redeemed people. But we just couldn't see it. We're blinded by our love for sin, self-gratification, and self-exaltation. Selfishness and sin cannot see the kingdom of God. And I shared this a couple of weeks ago when we got saved. I, I couldn't believe there was Christian music and there was Christian cafes and there was Christian books and there were Christian firemen and Christian cops. There's a Christian gym I know of. There was this Christian karate school. Every, all of a sudden, I was like, there's Christians everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Where were you all? Where? They were always there. But when you're in sin, you don't see God. Christian friendships, Christian fellowships. That's what Christ has done for us. So when it comes to being thankful, if we lose focus on being qualified, if we lose focus on really forgetting where we were personally when he rescued us, I'm telling you now, your Christian life will become slowly miserable. It will become mechanical. It will become joyless. It is not based, our thankfulness to God is not based on the last miracle in my life. Are you with me? How would you love God if you didn't have a miracle or an answered prayer for 10 years? Tell me now. Do you know why many people don't come back to church? Because somewhere in there, God was not doing what they thought he should have done. And they don't come back. And it just goes to show you. Because they did not thank God for being qualified, rescued, and transferred. Application. A young believer or an uninformed believer would have a hard time of realizing that they were rescued from being POWs. That spiritually we were malnourished and starving to death and didn't even know it. It takes many years to renew our mind. 
It takes many years to grow in maturity. That we live a life that's pleasing to God based on nothing else but what he has done for us at the cross. Nothing else. I tell you now, God might never do another thing in your life. He might not. I don't know. But I tell you now, he's done enough at the cross that warrants a thousand years of faithful living and pleasing the Lord. If I was to sit here and to try to hold a carrot before you to walk a holy life and to remind you that rescuing us from our sins is not enough, then nothing will ever be enough. We have to realize that before we came to Christ, we weren't just spiritually dead. When we came to Christ, even after our salvation, we're spiritually emaciated. And we need to be nurtured by the knowledge of his will. And to continue to grow in the knowledge of God. And to pray that he empower us by his spirit. I ask you this. How was your thanksgiving today? Generally. Where is our heart of thanksgiving? When's the last time, by nothing else but being self-motivated, you started praising God and thanking God just to be saved. That you're not caught up in the sins you were caught up in before you got saved. When's the last time? Where is our thanksgiving? How much of it does it live in our hearts? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, because our hearts are prone to wander. Our minds are prone to forget the great God that saved us out of the pit of darkness and brought us into the wonderful light to sing the praises of God. God, forgive us of any ungrateful attitude we might have. Forgive us if we forgot just what you did for us at the cross. God, help us to remember just how miserable life was without you. How we were bound to sin. We were bound to the fear of death. How Satan held us in his grip and we didn't even know it. Where fear and religion and superstition ruled the day, Father God, but it delivered nothing. That our hearts were still filled with prejudice, anger, malice, slander, lust, evil thoughts, murders, and every other foul thing, Father God, that you saved us on. God, let us never forget what we are without Jesus Christ. Let us never forget that we've been transferred into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We thank you, Father God, in Christ's precious name. Amen.